Well, good morning, Lake Point Church. My name is Jamie Pope, and I am very excited to be with you today. It is an honor just to be able to spend some time looking at God's Word with all of you. Um, over the last several weeks, you have been in a series called The Nine, and today we will actually be wrapping that series up. And really, this has been based out of what we call the fruits of the Spirit in uh, Galatians chapter 5. And so if it's your first time, as Nate said earlier, welcome. We are glad that you are here. I would encourage you, go back and listen to some of those messages. They are very, very good. And if you have been here, you kind of know where we're going with this text. So you've seen it a couple times, but I would like us to read it again just as kind of a refresher and to see it one more time. It's going to be Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I love this text because these are just so unbelievably rich. If you think about it, you've been listening to messages that are really built around just one single word, which means it's either going to be really, really short, don't get excited, or there's a lot to talk about within that. And I absolutely love this. I, I, I've had the opportunity to teach on it several times. Uh, I love as Paul is writing the book of Galatians, Paul starts kind of angry, like he's fired up. But by the end of it, man, he gives us these beautiful, beautiful words that are very rich. And I love the way your pastor put it. Like if you were to paint a picture of Jesus, this would be the color palette that you would use to do that. So several weeks ago, I was contacted by Lake Point, and they said, hey, we'd like you to come and speak one weekend. I said, I'd, I'd love to. I'm excited. And so we kind of started that process and said, okay, well, what series are you in? What are we going to be talking about? And they said, hey, we're doing a series called The Nine. It's on Fruits of the Spirit. And I was really excited. I was like, man, I love that. I've, I've enjoyed. I've heard so many good teachings on that. I, I love that. Which, which one would you like me to do? And they said, well, you have the last week. You have self-control. And I kind of stopped down a little bit because I was like, ah. Oh. And self-control is tough. Like if you look through these, these are so beautiful and you look at love and yes, I understand at times loving other people is difficult. That can be tough for us. But look, we love to be loved. And if we have a relationship with Christ, let's be honest, like that is part of who we are. We, we enjoy extending that love to other people. We want to love others. Joy, who doesn't want to have joy in their life? Peace, who doesn't want peace? Patience, okay, I'll give you that. That one's tough. Like, my wife would say, you may not even be qualified to talk about that. <laughs> but as I look through these, again, self-control, I'm like, man, self-control is difficult. Self-control is tough for us. There's a lot of different people in here. We're wired a lot of different ways, but everyone has an area where self-control can be difficult for you. Some of you, you just can't help yourself at times. If you see something, you're like, I have to buy that. Even you're not worried about how much money's in the bank. You're like, man, it's, we're kind of short this month. But look, I saw this TV and it... It was $1,000, but it's on sale. It's $200 off. I, I saved $200. No, you still spent $800. Like self-control is difficult for you in that. You just can't help going out and trying to buy something. And there's times where self-control with our emotions becomes very difficult. A couple weeks ago, you heard a message on peace, and man, it moved in your life, and you're like, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to live this. I'm going to enjoy this. But look, we live in the Metroplex. That means you had to get in your car and drive somewhere, and peace went out the window. Like, you got around other drivers, and you got cut off, and depending on how you're wired, you assigned some names to people and things like that, and all that peace just went right out the window. Man, you had no self-control. Emotions just spilled over. You go to work, and your boss just seems to know every little thing to say that pokes and prods at you. 
And hopefully that's not your spouse, but there's times where we just kind of blow up. Like we struggle with self-control when it comes to our emotions. And sometimes we struggle with self-control when it comes to sitting down at the dinner table. Uh, you've been put on a certain diet, but man, fried chicken and cookies are good. So you go out to eat and they've got all this stuff. Self-control is tough. I didn't realize how difficult that area of self-control was for me when it came to eating until last December. I was putting my son to bed one night. My son, Logan, he's four. He had forgotten something, which he really hadn't forgotten something. It was just an excuse not to go to sleep. But I told him, I said, go, go get whatever it was. And while I was waiting for him to come back, I was just sitting in his room. I was sitting next to his bed, and I, I started to look up at the ceiling. And I was like, you know, there was a time where I could, like, I could jump and put my head on that. I know I could. Like, if, if you're sitting in the back, please don't be mistaken. Like, don't let the screen fool you. I'm vertically challenged. Like, I am not that tall. In fact, a lady came up after the last service, walked up to me and goes, you're right, you're not that tall. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. But there was a time, like, when I was younger, like, I've played sports all my life, and I've played basketball a lot, and I had a really high vertical, and I was like, I, I wonder how close I can get to that now. Like, I, wonder, I know I can't, I can't jump as high as I used to, but I wonder how close I can get. Not close. I had to warm up to just barely graze my finger across it. And I'm telling you, I got mad. And I think I pulled something in the process. Like, I was, I was frustrated. My son finally came back. He's like, Daddy, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing, let's pray. Like, it was angry prayers that night. Like, I'm putting him to bed, angry prayer. And I came out, and like, I'm just huffing and puffing around my house. Like, I, some people call anger, I say passion. Like, I was, I was frustrated. My wife finally goes, what is wrong with you? I said, I am too big. What, why have you not, I tried to put it on her. Why have you not said something about this? She goes, I told you some of those shirts don't fit that well anymore. I was like, okay, you know. But it's like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep living like this. I don't feel good. I, I can't run around. Like our first son when he was born, like I gained 25 pounds of sympathy weight. It's real. It's a thing. And we're expecting our second one in August. And I told my wife, I was like, I, I can't do that again. In fact, I've got to do something about this because I can't keep up with Logan. Like this is, I got to do something. And so the next day, I went back to the gym that I'd been paying for. And I changed my diet. I started eating chicken, but it was baked. And lentils that I didn't even know existed. And Greek yogurt. And that's about it. And I got really disciplined with that. And dropped about 25 pounds, and suddenly I was like, you know what? I feel better now. I feel a lot better. The reason I did that is something that I want to try and unpack today. When it comes to self-control, I want to try and give you what I feel is a good biblical definition of self-control. Everyone in here has multiple wills. Like, you have one will towards something, and what I mean is you look at a situation, you go, this is how I want to respond, this is how I want to react. Sometimes it's not even a bad thing. Like, you just have a decision that you feel is most appropriate. And then you have another will that says, no, this is also how I want to react. And maybe that one's not bad either. Maybe it is. And, and these things, they kind of clash against each other. With my son, I had one will that said, you know what, I like to eat good food. They say, if you look at your bank account, you can tell what you love. I like to go out to eat. And it was great. That was one of my wills. I said, I want to do that. And then, you know what? It's great just to go and sit, watch a movie with the family, read a book, and maybe not be as active as I need to be. That, that was one will. But I have another will that says, I want to be able to play with my son and keep up with him, with all my kids. Like, my son, active is a good descriptor for him. 
Um, it, I've compared it to having a hummingbird as a child. Uh, my son, he's actually been here a couple times with his grandparents, and someone has had to watch this little blonde blur. He has one speed, it's go. He wants to play all day. He wants to be outside, he wants to run, and I want to be able to keep up with him. And I want to be able to beat him in all the things that we play until that one day he just overtakes me. And so I have one will over here, but I have a, what I would call a greater will, one that says I want to be able to spend time with my family and play with them and not be out of breath. That becomes my greater will. And this is what I feel is going to be our definition. Everything we're going to talk about today is kind of built around this idea. Here's what self-control is. It's in your listening guide. You don't even have to fill this one out. But we are going to say that self-control is a greater will towards a greater love. A greater will towards a greater love, namely God. Because when it comes to self-control, everyone has some area where you struggle. Self-control can be tough. But if we have a greater will and love towards God, what I hope to show you today is not only is self-control possible, but it is something that can even be enjoyed. And so to do this, I want to kind of walk through a couple of things. I want to give a couple examples from Jesus, and then I want to give a very real human example of what this looks like. And so to start, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. To kind of catch you up, Matthew chapter 4, as it begins, really kind of starts with a time where Jesus goes out into a wilderness. He's tempted by Satan. He goes through temptation. It's amazing to look at this because let's take this in. Our Savior, like we get temptation, but he was tempted as well. Like he, he went through that. He understands where we are. And so starting in Matthew chapter 4 in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's an understatement. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command those stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We will call this a greater will and love towards Scripture. A greater will and love towards Scripture. I want to paint a little bit of a picture here. Jesus goes out into this wilderness, and yes, this is Jesus we're talking about. He is fully God, but at the same time, he is fully man. You go 40 days without eating, and your, your body's going to begin to change. Your personality is going to begin to change. Some of us, if we don't eat every couple hours, we get hangry, angry, hungry, put those together. Like, we get this. I need you to understand, Jesus is starving. His body is malnourished at this point. There is a very human side of him that says, my will right now is to find something to eat. At that point, you're not picky. There's nothing that doesn't look good if you haven't eaten in 40 days. And so Jesus has a will that says, it is a natural good desire right now for me to eat food. But in this current situation, Satan comes to him and tries to tempt him. He says, hey, just take these stones, turn them into loaves of bread. Jesus can do that. When we leave here in just a little bit, we're either going to the grocery store or going out to eat. Jesus can take a stone and make it into bread. I'd be a lot bigger if I could do that. This is something that he can do, but he looks at the situation. He says, no, in light of the fact that Satan is trying to tempt me in this and trying to take my focus off of God, Yes, I have one will that is good, but I have a greater will, and it is to honor God. And the way that Jesus does this is he begins to quote and point out Scripture. And I know this becomes such, 
you've probably never heard this before. You came to church today and they said, read the Bible. But I, I don't want this to sound just this ambiguous thing. When we begin to study and we begin to grow in scripture, it becomes a reminder and a reinforcement that makes self-control possible. It doesn't mean it makes every situation perfect. It doesn't take all that temptation away. Look, temptation is a real thing. Jesus is going through it and you and I, everyone here, we all deal with this. Some of you, it may, there may be something tempting right now, but you definitely know when you leave here today, throughout the week, there are going to be things that become a temptation for you. Everyone struggles with something. Everyone's got that one thing that just seems to get them. I've, I've heard it called secret sin. If you're wondering what it is, it's the one you're thinking about right now. It's that one that pops in your head. It just seems to be able to get you. Like Satan knew Jesus was hungry, he tries tempting him with that. It's like he knows what goes through our minds and he just twists little things and suddenly there it is in front of you. So how are you going to practice self-control? Scripture becomes huge in this. So let's say you struggle with anger. What scripture are you pouring into meditating on to try and speak into that? Let's say you struggle with lust. What are you reading and pouring into to try and speak into that? You got issues at home, you got issues at work, you don't have a view of yourself that's healthy. Like what are you doing from a scriptural standpoint to sit down and grow in that so that it reinforces and it reminds you whenever temptation comes along that you know what, God is in control and you can have self-control as well. Because when you find yourselves in those situations, when we have poured into that, I know there have been times where I can, I can get passionate about things sometimes. <laughs> And I can feel my blood pressure going up and I can feel my ears getting red and then some scripture pops back into my head, that would be the Holy Spirit. It's like, this is not how Jesus wants me to handle this situation. This is not honoring to him. And I'm not saying immediately just, oh, everything's perfect, but it becomes this reminder and reinforcement. And I find myself going, you know what? I can practice self-control. I can move past this a little bit. All becomes scripture becomes that reminder and that reinforcement. Jesus does it in the situation. We have got to learn to do that as well. And this is the great thing about scripture. It's not as though we just read one thing and then we're done. This is something that grows and increases. It's this ever-growing, ever-increasing thing. I love that there are times where, a lot of you probably know what this looks like. You may have read a verse a dozen times, maybe a hundred times. And then suddenly you read it the 101st time and it changes everything. You're like, I never saw this. Where did this come from? And it speaks to you and it grows you. The more we pour into scripture, the more this becomes possible and it never stops. We're always learning, always growing. Several years ago, I had a group of students that I was discipling and it was kind of the same format each week. We would meet really early in the morning and at the time our format would, we would take a biblical narrative, just a story, and I'd tell that story and then we'd read it and then there were a couple of questions that went along with it, same questions each week. One of those questions was always, who do you relate to in this story? Like, who do you tie into? Who do you feel like you relate to so that you can learn from that? And that particular morning, we were doing the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. It's an Old Testament story. Jonathan was a prince in, the, uh, in Israel, and they were in a war with the Philistines. And one day, everybody was just really not doing anything. And Jonathan said, hey, I, I think it's time for us to do something. So he talks to his armor bearer and says, hey, we're going to go up to an encampment of Philistines. And depending on how they react, that's how God's going to speak to us. Are you with me? And the armor bearer says, yes, I'm with you. And so they go and they begin to climb up this hill. And the Philistines look down and they just see two guys and they think nothing of it. And then that's the sign. And Jonathan and his armor bearer attack. And man, they just wipe the floor with everybody. And so I share this story and I sit down and say, okay, who do you relate to? 
And a couple of them said, well, I feel like, I feel like I'm Jonathan. Like, I, I feel like God's called me to do some things and I wanna be obedient and I wanna listen to him and, and, and be able to kind of interpret what he's saying. I said, well, that's, that's good. And a couple others said, well, I, I feel like I'm more of the armor bearer. Like, I don't like to be in front of people. I don't feel like I'm the best leader, but I love to support, I love to help. I wanna be, I wanna serve. I'm like, man, that's, that's good as well. And then this one kid goes, I'm the Philistines. And I was like, have you been sleeping? Wake up. Like, Explain that to me because one, those are the bad guys. Two, they died. Like, how are you the Philistines? And he goes, no, I'm, I'm the Philistines. Like, they, they were on top of this hill looking down to these two guys, and they, they thought nothing of it. And that's, that's how I look at my sin. And I don't think it's that big of a deal. And then it comes up the hill and just beats the trash out of me. Like, what theologian just took over this skinny 16-year-old body? Like, that's, I have read books on that section of Scripture. I have read commentaries. Nothing has taught me more than this 16-year-old unpacking that to where I was like, I have never seen that, and I can't get past that now. I'm like, that is deep. That is real. Because that's, that's me. There's so many times I look down, I'm like, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a temptation. Then it comes up, and it just beats the trash out of me. And I had read that story I don't know how many times, and suddenly a kid reminds me and teaches me something new. This is the beauty of Scripture, and this is why it is so important. This is why it's so important for us to be grounded in it. Because it becomes the reminder and reinforcement when temptation comes your way. A greater will and a greater love towards Scripture makes self-control possible. And so continuing in Matthew 4, there's another temptation, but I want to kind of skip down a little bit to verse 8. In verse 8 of Matthew chapter 4, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. We will call this a greater will and love over self. A greater will and love over self. When we think about self-control, what is at the center of that? Self, us. Like we're heavily involved when it comes to self-control. And in self-control, there are really two camps that kind of form. On one side, you have people who have a very high view of self. Some of you are thinking about those people right now, but be careful, someone could be thinking about you. These are people who have a very high view of themselves. They say the rules do not apply to me, therefore self-control is not necessary. And I want to give a little bit of a caveat to the scripture thing. Growing and maturing as we study and grow in our relationship with Christ is unbelievably important. But something I have seen over the years, one of the most dangerous things as people grow is they have too high a view of themselves, and we fall into this mentality that our will is always God's will. And that's dangerous. I hate to say that there is a danger of maturing in Christ, but that is something I've seen over the years that people would have such a high view of ourselves that we say, my will is always God's will and we need to be very careful in that. But this side has such a high view of themselves. They say the rules don't apply to me, therefore self-control is not needed. On the other side, you have people who have way too low a view of themselves. Man, they beat themselves up and it puts them in really dark places. And self-control seems like it's impossible, and so you just give in to everything. And so if you're in, one of, in that place today, can I just say God loves you? Maybe you just need to hear that. Like you find yourself where it's like, man, this is a dark place. Man, God loves you. 
he valued you enough that he would send his son to die for you. I hope we never forget that. But these two areas, they both struggle with self-control. And now Jesus is faced with something that a lot of us would struggle with. He is given the opportunity to have everything. All you got to do is worship me, says Satan. You and I are put in that place. That's a tough decision. And we love control. We love power. That's just kind of part of our broken selves. And here Jesus is faced with this overwhelming temptation. And he goes, get behind me. I only serve God. Jesus completely understands. Look, when it comes to our will and God's will, our will takes a backseat to God's will. And when we begin to view God in that way, where we say, hey, you know what? It's not about me. It's about him. And I may have something that I want to do. I may have a desire. And it may not even be a bad, sinful thing. But I look over and I know that God expects and wants this of me. I want to do that. When we can learn that, self-control is not only possible, but we can actually enjoy it. And this is a powerful thing that Jesus begins to explain to us. And this is something, as I have matured in my own faith over the years, like growing up, I would put it this way, I love me some me. Um, I wanted everything to be about me. I wanted to be at the center of everything. And I had taken God and I had put him in a little box and said, this is where you stay. These are your parameters. Turns out my relationship with God was not that good. <laughs> when I took him out of that and said, you know what? I need to take a back seat and I need to learn to listen and I need to learn to just grow through him. When that became my mentality, self-control was no longer looked at as an obligation. Because unfortunately, a lot of times that's how we look at it. I gotta do it. Now, when we can change that mentality and go, no, the love that I have for God, I'm gonna take my own desires and wants and put them over here and I'm gonna put God in his rightful place. When we learn to do that, when our mentality becomes like Jesus, self-control is not only possible, it is something to be savored and enjoyed. And so Jesus teaches us such a beautiful, beautiful lesson in this moment. Our mentality has to be like that. We have to be willing to take ourselves and go, I'm, I'm second, third, maybe 18th. And God's got to be first. And in doing that, Jesus is able to overcome temptation. And so as you look at that, some of you would go, yeah, that's true, but you're talking about Jesus. Isn't self-control a little bit easier for Jesus than me? Like, you don't really know what I'm struggling with. You don't want to know what I'm wrestling with. I'll, I'll give you that to an extent. Yes, we are talking about Jesus here. He's got this. And so I want to try and give a very real example that we can really latch on to. And it's going to come out of Genesis chapter 39. Let me kind of set this up. Genesis 39 is about a third of the way in the story of Joseph. Joseph, a lot of you, you may have colored pictures of him when you were young, VBS, the multicolored coat and everything. You may have no clue who he is, so let me tell you a little bit. He, he has a great life to start. Dad loves him a lot. His brothers not so much, so they sell him into slavery. We've all been there. Um, he has a really rough moment where literally for about 20 bucks a piece, they sell their brother into slavery. And off he goes to another country. He ends up in the country of Egypt and through God orchestrating a lot of things, like he protects him and he ends up in the house of a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the guard to the Pharaoh who is at the time the most powerful man on the face of the planet. And Joseph finds himself in basically the most powerful man in the world's personal bodyguard. He finds himself in his house and God blesses him and watches over him and Joseph is very good, he's diligent, he listens to God and he basically moves up to where he's in charge of everything in the house. And so in Genesis 39, this is where our story picks up in verse, about halfway through verse six. 
It says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. And if you underline or highlight, if that's your thing, I want you to do that with this next line. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. We will call this a greater will and love over sin. A greater will and love over sin. I told you, everyone is going to be tempted in some way. That's just a reality. But what if we could learn to have self-control over sin itself? I think we would actually enjoy our relationship with God more. And that's why I wanted to point to this. Before we're talking about Jesus, now we're talking about Joseph, not God, fully man. At this time, Joseph is a teenage boy, not going to get into a lot of biology. There's hormones involved, all right? Uh, He finds himself, the Bible says he's a good-looking guy. He's young, great-looking in appearance. And then there's this woman that's coming on to him. And I need you to understand what this woman probably looks like. Potiphar is a very powerful man, working for the most powerful man. He basically gets to pick his wife. Potiphar's wife had to be absolutely beautiful. So now we've got a teenage boy and a beautiful woman that's coming on to him. And typically we know what that looks like. But Joseph gives one of the most powerful lines, I believe, in all of the Old Testament. He looks at the situation and he says, how could I do such a sin against my God? What I love that he just did there is he did the right thing for the right reason. And here's what I mean by this. Sometimes we do the right thing, but we do it for the wrong reason. There's times where maybe you're at work and you would have the opportunity to steal something. Not saying you would, but if that opportunity is there and you go, no, I'm I'm not going to do that because if... If someone found out, I could lose my job, lose my family, my house, like all of that, it reflects on you. And we say, hey, I'm I'm not gonna do that. So we've done the right thing, but maybe not for the right reason. And Joseph could have very well done that here. Man, if I sleep with this girl, like if people find out, if the other people working in the house find out, they're gonna be talking about me, it's gonna look bad on me. Her husband who kills people for a living, he may find out and that would not go well. Like that could have been a great motivating factor for Joseph. He could have done the right thing with himself in mind, but he does the right thing for the right reason. He looks at that situation and he says, that would be a sin against God. It's not about me. It's not about how I would look. He goes, my love for God is so deep that to sin would be dishonoring to him and that would hurt me. My love for God is so deep that I gain more enjoyment and pleasure out of being obedient to him than to falling into sin itself. I'm telling you, that is one of the most powerful things I have ever read in scripture. Because that mentality lets you enjoy God. That mentality lets you actually practice self-control. And it's not this beating. It's not this, man, I I guess I can't do that. I guess I can't do that. I, I just check all the things off that I can't do. No. Joseph just said, I gain more pleasure and joy out of being obedient to God because of the way I view him, and that's how I want to live my life. I don't always do that. But every time I read that, I'm reminded that it is possible to have such a deep will and love for God that you would say, hey, even over sin itself, 
even over things that have trapped me for years, I would rather love God deeply and enjoy him and in doing that, bring him pleasure and it brings me pleasure as well. Joseph has such a deep will and desire for God. Joseph has learned it's not about me. He takes that back seat. And I would say to each and every one of us, we have got to learn what it looks like to love God so deeply that we can say, you know what? Self-control is not that difficult. It brings glory to God. I enjoy that. And so it takes us going, you know what? Yes, we have a will that says I want to do this, but what would it look like if we had a greater will and love towards God? What if we had a greater will and love towards his word and we filled ourselves with it and it made self-control possible? And then what if we put ourselves behind God and had such a love for God that even within sin itself, we would say, hey, I enjoy him more. My will and love is towards him. At that point, self-control is way beyond possible. We enjoy it. Let's pray. God, as we close out today, I'm so unbelievably thankful for your word. And I am thankful for scripture and God, the fact that we're able to, to read that and the way that it speaks to us. And God, sometimes it speaks encouragement and sometimes God, it, it, it speaks in ways that remind us that, hey, we've still got areas to grow in, but I'm thankful for all of them. God, I'm thankful for the fact that you have made a way for us to have self-control, but not to see it as a beating, but to see it as something to be enjoyed, to bring you glory. And God, as we go out today, I know there will be temptations and things that we face. God, remind us that you are God. God, keep, let us keep our eyes fixed on you. God, let us practice self-control this week. Let others see that and let it speak to them as well. God, I'm thankful for these people. I just pray that we would continue to grow closer to you. God, in our families and in our personal lives. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.